0: I'm in conversation with a film director this week, and one of my favorite quotes of hers is from her IMDB website, and it says, It's from a lecture given at the University of Alberta Department of Drama. I don't know why people made such a fuss about me being a camera woman. This machine is less complicated than a zigzag sewing machine and lighter than a six-month-old baby. Welcome to Connie Calder's Table. I'm Connie Calder, and today I'm in conversation with Ann Wheeler. Ann Wheeler is a film icon. She's a director, producer, writer, and general creative force of nature. Her list of credits is way too long to get into here. It would take me all day. But she has done documentaries. She's done feature films. She's done made for television movies, she's done television series, she's done groundbreaking, she's been fearless, she's tackled subjects that people didn't tackle before, and a great many of those centered around women's stories and stories from Western Canada, two things she cares deeply about. She is the only woman to receive a Lifetime Achievement Award for her directing from the Directors Guild of Canada. How did you do all of that work? Well, kids, like, I mean, I I don't even know how to did it myself, but it takes so many people to make a film and so much money and so much stuff. How did you do it?
1: Well, I mean, the 80s were incredibly good for me. Yeah, I mean, my kids were born in 79. um, And uh, yeah, it was sort of on a roll. I mean, I was doing almost a feature a year. And for women, that was a really good period. And then it just slumped. And the 90s sort of... uh, made it really became very difficult to get a canadian feature and it still is incredibly difficult to get a canadian feature absolutely
0: why is that why is that like why can australia and all those places and new zealand make these amazing television or features or whatever that is and can
1: well it's just we have this big brother right you know down South of us and it it takes our audience. The best way to get to a Canadian audience with films is to go through like the Canadian, the American network, you know, get American distributors and they'll get it to, into Canadian theaters. And our distribution system is really, really, really uh, um, set against us really, because it's not like the music business where there were some quotas set and such, right? Um, Yeah there were times when people like Flora McDonald tried to get so that like 10% of the theaters were watching, you know, were showing Canadian movies, but we never got that leg up. And um, has and television
0: so, changed that? Like has television, like most people are watching some of the best film I think now is happening yeah. on TV and series and things like that. Yeah.
1: And I think a lot of us, I mean, I have, I got films in development right now, but the future of film and bringing people together in theaters, you know, everything right now is in, in a state of flux, and uh, you know, television hits this huge audience. So I've, you know, I've been really happy to be involved with you know beautiful series like Anne with an E, and and you know, reaching millions of people all around the world. So that's great. But it is a huge, you know, when you go into when you go into television, it's you know, there's a lot of people that are in charge. I mean, as an artist, as a director, you're much more um, a part of a huge team. There's a showrunner that runs the whole show from beginning to end. Uh, your, your involvement in casting and finding, you know, the locations and working on the script. It's, it's much more collaboration and, and you're much less involved than if you're making your own film. So it's a different, it's a whole different work, you know, style.
0: Yeah. So how, like you have, I was thinking about you, She's, a, broken, she's down broken down all it. these boundaries. She's broken she's broken ground for all of these women to come afterwards. Because you have to yeah. be a groundbreaker if there's no foundation, whatever, for your kind of storytelling and who you are. And yeah. you have to like break ground and pour cement. And you broke ground and poured cement a lot. And the range of your work is unbelievable. But there's a lot of women's stories in there.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of... The great thing about, you know, I've been... Blessed because I mean, women's stories have never been told. So you're telling stories that would be lost if you didn't tell them, and you have such a sense of purpose. And I think that sense of purpose really drives you, and you know that it is helping to make a change, and that you're part of a unified force that's trying to move this whole, you know, subject of women's stories, women's rights forward. But not only, you know, I also sort of a lot of my films had to do with being. A, in Western Canada, away from the center, uh, rural people, people who don't get a lot of access to, uh, you know, federal funding and stories and such, that way they don't get their stories told. So um, I either was telling my own stories or telling stories for people that I felt that uh, they wanted me to be their storyteller, you know?
0: Absolutely. You did some really amazing, interesting, Things that uh, like to me felt totally new. I didn't realize you'd done the first three ones of Da
1: Vinci Inquest, which is one of those amazing shows. Like, and that was you know those that was a wonderful, wonderful series with a really you know excited uh, initiator. And it gave us a lot of liberty and we tried really a lot of things with the camera work and then going right down into East Vancouver and kind of keep ourselves low, low profile and use the real life down there and put our actors in there with radio mics and have long 500 millimeter lenses, you know, following them through this maze of action and just capture the life down there. It was just a fabulous series to be a part of and I did the first three. Uh, which were, it was a very, you know, based on true files. I spent time with the coroner. Uh, I had lots of prep time. Um, And it was, you know, it really was an exciting project. Now you don't get that, you know, everything has changed since we did series like Da Vinci's as a director. You don't get that prep time and that time to really immerse yourself in the, in the subject. But that was, that was really probably the most exciting sort of television night might have mm. ever done you know
0: it was years ahead of its time too and the way you made it look and the way that whole uh, the, the kind of what what now you see more of now than you did
1: back then but back then it was so new yeah well they had the the hand the operator of the camera yeah. was always in charge and able to instinctually move with the action because we couldn't choreograph it really you know s- solidify the choreography we had to just I hope that the cameraman would have the instincts, and sometimes I would be with right beside the cameraman, going swish to the left, you know, widen out, go up. We were on jibs, hand jibs, so it was like being a, on the end of a teeter totter. You go right down into the, you know, a real detail, and then you go up and get an aerial with it, right? So you really were sort of like a, you know, a, a, an eye on what was happening from any angle, very very flexible. What gave you the idea to work like that? Like, what? Where did that idea come? Well, from? Well, I was or working like, with a wonderful guy, David Frizzy, who is now a fabulous director himself. But the two of us just sort of said, well, "How can we do this? How can we get right down in here? How can we uh, react to what's happening and not, you know, that's the only way we're going to be able to be in this real, real kind of, you know, environment is to react to it and not try to control it in any way. That's so. But he was fa- fabulous, and of course, uh, uh, of course, you know the sh- Chris Haddock, the showrunner. He wanted it to have that life. I'd done a show with him called Mother Trucker, which was yeah. on a f- fabulous woman who became a vice, you know, president of the Teamsters Union because she she got political because her kid was in an accident and she got stonewalled uh, for medical uh, assistance to help her her son get better. Anyways, I was so I'd I'd uh, I'd work, you know, um, sort of in that area, in that arena of issue-driven uh, drama based on true stories, and that that's what really makes it exciting because you know that it, it's a coming from a true story. That's what's that's what's motivated a lot of your work, hasn't it? Yeah, I love. I, I you know I've got a series of um, I, I got a book of short stories coming out in the fall. Wow. And is there um, anything
0: you don't do? Is like, <laughs> is there anything like? I, don't tell me you knit. If you tell me you knit, I'm going to myself right now.
1: <laughs> I never could put those zippers in either. I've never been able to sew a thing. <laughs> no, but you like you write,
0: you create, you yeah, you produce. You, I mean, you have done everything in this, and yet you came from mathematics.
1: <laughs> well, I can't <laughs> math degree. My- you're really using that math degree. <laughs> I do actually. It really made you focus and stick with the problem, you know, until it was figured out and it's either right or it's wrong. So, you you know, you can't kind of uh, bubble it. But um, I really, you know, I always wanted to, I was in theater in high school and I went to the Baptist School of Fine Arts on a theater scholarship. Oh, wow. at 16. I really was sort of, you know, into the arts from the very early beginning. But, but uh, my, my, my parents were very conservative. And, uh, and so I went Promised to take something practical at university, and then <laughs> <laughs> the reason I took math. Did you disappoint that. your parents? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Join were, the crowd, they were, they were very worried about me. They thought I got off the rails when I, when I, I, I you know, I um, I, I took math really because there was no papers and there was no labs. And so if you went to the math classes and you understood what was going on, really you had a lot more free time than most students. And then I did, so I did a lot of musicals. I did a lot You're of You're the music- only
0: person I know that said they would take math because it's easier.
1: <laughs> 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 I, I, yeah, I guess I was lucky that way because I, I, you know... <laughs> I, I did find math sort of just to be sort of like a game, like a puzzle. It was sort of, you know, if you went. I did too. I like math. You yeah, you know, it, then you had all this time. So I mean, I did a lot of music and theater. I put my, I, I did uh, children's theater every every summer with a traveling theater troupe t- to put myself wow. through math. Isn't it usually we do the other way around? But uh, yeah, so I, I I did arts to put myself through science, and. Uh, <laughs> And then immediately, I, I got a job as a, a computer programmer, and and I I was at that for about eight months. Where I realized I, I did not want to spend the rest of my life in this. It was a room at the time, right? Oh yeah, 1967. Were they the ones with the
0: flipping cards and the punch cards? Oh yeah, and if
1: you misspunch something, you know, had to start all over. It was like a stack of you know cards that you fed into this machine, and <laughs> um, and you never saw anybody other people. You're just in this room. So I kind of went, I know, I don't, I don't, I don't think this is, I made a goof here. I'm, I'm <laughs> going down the wrong path. So I quit and I took the money that I had, you know, made thus far a little bit. And I took off and I started to travel. I, I traveled for three years around the world, you wow. know, uh, a, a lot of cheap traveling, but all through Europe and the Middle East. And then I took a huge trip right down Africa. Well, I hitchhiked around the Mediterranean on freighters. And then I went straight down Africa on the east side.
0: I never did that. I never like I, I, it's one something I regret that I never like traveled Europe on my backpack like everybody else does. I was doing theater and wasn't making yeah. enough money to like go out of town, let alone go across. Well, you should have taken math,
1: obviously. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you should have. <laughs> uh, well, well, where was the point where you where where you realized that that's where your creative? juice was like that's what that's what you well, wanted to create was these stories
1: yeah I mean I was a high school band teacher for a year and a half and a little known and, facts yeah and uh and I think it was while I was away you know it was well I was far away from Canada I miss Canada when I talked about Canada this passion would you know emerge in me and I got terribly homesick and I came home and and chance would be that I bumped into some old friends from university who were wanting to put uh, do a documentary. They wanted a female on-camera interviewer, and they and basically the day after I landed, they said, "You wanna wanna try doing this? I think you'd be good at it." So I went and did this little interviewing job with them, and they had an opportunities for youth grant, and. Um, um. And I just started kind of working with them and I applied for my own opportunities for youth, uh, grant. And I got enough money to make four one minute videos on how to brush your teeth. <laughs> the
0: beginning, the I small,
1: but important, and profound small. beginnings, <laughs> telling an important story that no one has told before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, and it was funny, it was, they were little public service commercials they played for years and years. Wow. It, was, it had a whole bunch of people just smiling one after the other, and none of them had teeth. And then it just said at the end, when you smile, it's great to have your teeth along. Take care of them.
0: Oh, wow, always. And you know what, Like you, I, mean, I think you've won every award that you can win in this country and several in others. But the one that really impressed me was that you were the first woman to win a lifetime achievement from the Canadian film directors. Yeah, that it somehow that stunned me and also just made me feel fabulous at the same time that it, that you. you're the first. I wish there were a thousand more, but if it's going to be the first, I'm glad it's you.
1: I don't think American woman has won one yet or British. <gasps> I, I, Are you uh, kidding me? For, for <gasps> directing. Yeah. I, the Guild in the Britain. I looked it up because somebody said that to me. I looked it up. I, went, I looked in Britain and the director's guild had given a woman a lifetime achievement award but she was a, a, a not she was like a designer or something she wasn't a director so i are I, you the first ever i don't know i can't find anyone who has one because i guess i guess it, you know it's dictated by the fact that you have to have been doing it for a long time i directed my first film in 72
0: wow so how do you go, like you, you write, you direct, you produce, you've done it all. You're like a one-stop shop. What gets you, I'm thinking about creativity and film. It's such a different set of skills that needed to either one of those jobs, both creative, like a director has to be really creative, but it has organizing, you've got this crew, you've got everything. A writer is a solitary thing alone. And then the producer is another whole thing altogether because you're probably producing your own work and dealing with people and all of the organization and all of that. I I mean, I, I, I applaud it. I think it's amazing. And I think that's why you did such powerful work and so many interesting things because you could have control over many of the parts of it.
1: Well, I think, you know, I was, I was lucky that I started in Edmonton because we were far enough from the center and we had to, we had to think, uh, you know, it out for ourselves. And it gave us a lot of liberty on how to, you know, we figured things out as we went along. And we had so many stories that, uh, you know, the, the national press was not paying any attention to, you know, so we wanted <laughs> to talk about the environment and, the, you know, the indigenous peoples and the, and the women's shelters and all of all of these things that were happening around us that nobody else was, you know, we, there was no competition basically. So if, uh, I know I was with a co-op for what well, was a collective. Uh, we formed a company, but that there was R. B. Kind of,
0: and that whole gang, and
1: yeah, yeah. So we did, you know, we did a lot of films together. And it, we would just rotate the, you know, the roles. If I took sound, the next time I might be on camera, and the next time I would write, the next time I would edit, and we rotated these roles, and we were together for about six years. And then What an started, amazing way to learn. It was, and we shared this sense of purpose, right? I mean, we were all doing it because, not that we wanted to become filmmakers, because we thought that was really groovy, but we thought, well, <laughs> we thought this was the most powerful tool, you know, and uh, we wanted to say something, we had to learn how to do it. So we shared that, and uh, you know, a few people had some training. I had training in music, which sort of got me into it. You know, I, I was able to sort of, you know, contribute. But basically, we all ta- taught each other because there was no film school. And then after five or six years, we start to all kind of peel off because some people really, you know, wanted to have more steady job or like to write or like to edit. You know, and we so all chose one
0: of the two. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it all went our separate ways.
0: But you chose to do a lot, choose to do it all?
1: Well, mostly write and direct and produce. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. I, what I, else I didn't is there? A lot of. <laughs> what? Mostly right. only write and direct
0: and produce. Like I wasn't doing craft services. <laughs> Although
1: there were a couple of times when I did bring muffins for the crew, right? Well, I don't know. Have you seen Chi by any chance? I haven't, no. Oh, well, you might want to watch that. that, that I did uh, that about eight years ago. And um, and I actually, my husband and I and a friend, we went with Babs Chula. I don't know if you ever met a, a, an actor called Babs Chula. Anyway, she wanted to go to India. So I picked up a camera and I literally, we actually all, it felt like I was back in 1972 because we were all shooting and taking sound and doing everything and... And uh, went to Kerala, which is in southern India, and made this film. It's with uh, the National Film Board, if you ever want to pick it up.
0: Okay, I'm going to definitely uh, look at that. I was yeah. thinking, too, about one of the films that I saw many years ago was Loyalties. And what a startling film that was. Tantu Cardinal, who's done very well. But just the yeah. first time I'd ever seen that subject raised in any way, let alone that way, on camera, dealing with child, child abuse, you know, basically. Yeah.
1: That came out of a a series of films I was going to do for the film board on uh, sexual child abuse and how to, you know, how as an adult you should react to the child and and help them get through it. And then I'd been working with Sharon Reese, wonderful Sharon Reese. And and she and I decided we wanted to do a feature together. So we kind of came together with with this kind of um, material I've been going through for the last year, and her living in Lac La and she said, "Oh, you know, this it was a strange couple that came and went," and and we so we just ah. you know started to weave these two sort of stories together, and she wrote that most wonderful, wonderful script.
0: Yeah, very just stunning. Yeah, yeah. The image that sneaks in my mind is the wife trying to braid her hair to look younger. Like, I don't know, there's like th- some moments in that that were just like, oh, like uh, unforgettable. Uh, Yeah, and you know, and
1: sadly, 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 a lot of 35 millimeter films, the whole transition from 35 to digital happened so fast that a lot of them um, didn't get transferred. And now most of the labs that handle 35 millimeter are gone was very uh, expensive and very difficult to get them into a digital format so a lot of them Mm. are being lost because nobody has a a way of playing them anymore right Mm. the theaters don't have projectors anymore wouldn't that be an
0: nfb job couldn't that be an nfb
1: job they haven't they've done some some of the work but loyalties is a a film that does not have a a theatrical digital print there's no Mm. print of of uh, loyalties there's a couple of 35 millimeter prints but really it's like a it's a very, very rare bird now.
0: The other thing is that I, I noticed about your work, kind of like a lot of directors that you see, they direct a certain kind of film and kind of work on that. You have directed everything from groundbreaking films to television things, to romantic movies, to uh, documentaries. And the, the, the couple that you did for your parents' stories too, is just, you know, Bye Bye Blues and all of that stuff is very different again. And documentaries, like you really have such a broad range as a director, producer, writer. Why do you think that is? What does does it all interest you? Is anything more fun than the other, or are you just testing yourself? Or <laughs> I don't know. Uh,
1: I don't know. Why Why do some of us just have a need to put stuff out? You know, to I don't know. It's like growing old. It's interesting. Like I I keep looking at the old tree in my uh, my yard. And it's over 300 years old. I have this huge tree in my backyard. And every year it keeps putting out new branches, new leaves, you know? And I think, well, there's much to learn from it. You know, you got old, you, people are under your, you, you provide shade for people under under your big, broad, strong arms and you, and you never cease to reach for the, the light. You know, 300 years you've been here every year you come out and that's what keeps you alive. And that's what keeps me alive. It's just continuing to learn and be curious. And I haven't questioned it except that, you know, I know without it, I would probably become terribly depressed if I wasn't doing something creative. And I'm not sure it always needs to be filmed, but um, because I'm getting a little tired of the four o'clock wake up calls and the 16 to 18 hour (laughs) waiting.
0: If you could, if you could do a project where you could wake up at any time, you could like, what kind of project would interest you now? Is there any theme that you really want to deal
1: with that you haven't? Well, I have, I, well, you know, the, I've been sent a lot of stories of people saying, I don't know what to do with this story. I'm sending it to you. I hope you can do it. So I've actually, I am trying to train myself to be more of a, a writer uh, and put out, start putting out books because for me, it's really the the, the stories are what's important. Okay. So whether the stories are on a podcast or in a book or a radio show or whatever, I just feel like the you know the stories will be lost. And uh, and um, so as a as an older person, I just feel like I've got these boxes of things all around me, and I have an obligation to somehow get them so that they're preserved in some way. Mm. So that's what's motivating me these days.
0: Huh. And if you could uh, teach, what what would you like? Like if you see young filmmakers coming up, like I see young musicians coming up and they're all just like my sons are so much more trained. They have, you know, they've got skills and things. They're coming into the business with so much more. And that means they can go so much further with, you know, just just right yeah. out of the blocks. But is there anything you'd like Young filmmakers to know that you that they won't get because they're coming in with all of this technology.
1: Well, I mean, I think it's the same in all the <laughs> arts, isn't it? I mean, I mean, in film especially where there is more money and a lot of people go into it because they think it's cool and they'll make a lot of money and they're driven to put out a product that will grab a lot of people. And Yeah, and, it's really um, the
0: big time, isn't
1: it? It's very intense making a film and you get so close to the people you're working with. It's like doing a gestalt group, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean you're all under <laughs> so much stress. You know, people have... Moments of, uh, you know, temper and moments of a strong emotion crying and, and you know, <laughs> a, day, a funeral, a wedding and a birth, you know, all in one day. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's intense. <laughs> but then, you know, wrap. Okay, that's a wrap. And everybody goes home. And I tell you, I mean, you're lucky if you make one maybe long time connection. In each project that you have, it's a very um, unnatural way to live, you know. Mm. Because we're so close to all these people, and then they all disperse and go and you know go make another cluster to make another film. So I, I mean, I think you have to really take care of, of of making sure that you have people in your life that that are there not because of what you're doing or that they you know mm. that you you love and they love you for you because um, people are very egotistical in in this business and they're very ambitious and they use people and you have to just keep keep that strong sense of yourself and why you're doing this. And, you know, I I accept that many people do it, not for the reasons I do it, but what's kept me sane and going now, you know, I'm in my seventies, still doing it is, uh, is this, um, well, again, the sense of purpose, but it's it's a sort of like a it's sort of like a spiritual journey for me because it's sort of when 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 we do a take, when I can, as a director see my role as bringing all these uh, talents together, very talented people and making one thing of it, and when we do that take, for instance, and we've uh, rehearsed it and we know what we're going for, and we all know when we got it and Hmm. we were all together we were all right there in the moment nothing else mattered everything the camera the lights the sound the performances everything worked together it's sort of like a group you know moment that um you're creating
0: you're creating magic you know it's the magic of it
1: it's the magic you know of the all shows are like that too like performances are like that too there's there's an
0: ephemeral quality even if it's being taped or recorded there's an ephemeral quality that's that's magic i call it magic
1: yeah yeah no it's magic and 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 people come and go and go gee i've never been on a on a on a on a set before where you had that feeling that the director was actually reaching for this um euphoria you know because a lot of stuff you know there's so much action stuff and effect stuff now you know i just just want to keep doing the human stuff what happens between us what keeps you know our our uh, our souls alive and us connected because Uh, There's getting less and less of that. Like I I say no to, I've said no to a lot of projects over the last 10 years, just because I I can't imagine myself directing people that are acting to a green screen, for instance. Right. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I mean, I know it works sometimes, but for me, what I, you know, what, 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 what uh, fuels me is that, is that what happens between all the actors and the crew to make something really special and unique. Do you think
0: uh, being a woman has brought something extra to that set? Is it just your perspective or are you bring the way you work? Is it different than male directors?
1: Well, you know, obviously I, I can't do it any differently than what a woman would do. And I do think, I think that, and I think there are men now that have a similar approach, but when, when I first was in the business, the, the model of a director was as the, you know, the head of the army, you know, the, <laughs> colonel, the, the, the power, the dictator. Um, and, um, and I, and I think it more of being, you know, the person who brings the family together and, and, um, make sure that everybody f- goes away feeling like they did their best hmm. on that show, you know, that they were really able to do what they had hoped they would do. You told a story through your
0: father's diaries, which I think is really startling. To that you would be able to do that, and then you told your mother's story too. Both of which are incredibly dramatic, interesting stories. Mm-hmm. Did you hear those stories growing up? Is it that what made you want to tell stories?
1: Uh, well, I had a, we had a couple of really great storytellers in our, our our family, which who I adored and I was close to my aunt, who was a, a real yarn giver, you know. Um, but I think uh, with my father's story, you know, that being a documentary, um, it was kind of a pilgrimage because he died when I was young. So it was my attempt to get to know him. And so- It's you such know, an like,
0: amazing story,
1: like- oh. Yeah, so I mean, I was very motivated. Because, and I was about 30, 32 when I did it. And that was the time at which he had been a prisoner of war. And he had left small children behind and I had small children. And so it was the perfect time. And I really hadn't been aware of his story to great any extent, st- because it was an unspeakable, unspeakable s- subject in my house. You, you never referred to it in any way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so he, when he passed, I was in high school, um, and you know it was another ten years before I actually read his diary that he'd left behind, and I was already into film, so uh I didn't really know how to attack it because it was you know the story the main story takes place in Taiwan, which was Formosa at the time, and it was just so huge and mm-hmm. and not something like the National Film board had ever done before, and in fact, they couldn't do it entirely because uh Taiwan at the time you know didn't have diplomatic relationships with Canada. So I couldn't take money from the film board to go back to the camp where he was. But yeah, I, I mean, I was personally motivated to get to know who he was. I took men with me that had been with him. I went and found, found them through Christmas old Christmas cards and such all over England and Hong Kong and uh, tried to get a sense of who my dad was. I'm actually going to try to write some of that down in the mm-hmm. next Little while. And with my mother, I had found with documentary there's a wall that you hit and you're going to tell the truth and you can't go beyond anything you do not know. Yeah. Especially when they're personal, right? Well, yeah. And you so so with my mother's story, I decided I would fictionalize it somewhat, right?
0: It's my great disappointment that I that I wasn't young enough to play that role by the time you got it made. That was one of my great life disappointments. But Rebecca did such a fabulous job that. Yeah, she I was. Did it I was. I was uh, comforted.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I had to change it quite a bit, you know, because when you're doing things about your family, you have to be close enough that you can say yes, it, it is inspired and comes from a true story. But then you have to say no, that isn't my aunt, and because or that isn't, you know. Yeah. Um And and also, there's other stories that you hear that you kind of want to weave into it under the realities, yeah. you know. So uh so that became a, quite fictional so i was very when i went to my mother and i said mom i, I want to make a film about you now and she went oh my god it's uh very boring waiting for someone you know five years i mean what what uh, people aren't going to want to watch this movie you better kind of dress it up you know spice it up a little bit make it interesting You're (laughs) okay with that, eh? And she, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, really, really, it's so boring. So boring. So, um, so I actually just kind of put myself in her place. And then I also went and, you know, talked to a lot of women that had been on the prairies in the war and, and, and people had gone to dances and sort of, you know, got a broader, broader idea of what that reality was and i wrote it and of course you know as you know i gave her you know a, a, an interest a man who was very interested in her and um, you know it got quite sexy in places and, and i have a little spice and they spiced it up yes a little spice but then i said you know when i i said you want to read the script no no it's okay you go ahead dear, you go ahead and i go well you want to meet the actress that's going to play the lead part you know no 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 no, no. i'll see her i'll see her when it's done and then i in the editing room I go do you want to come and see if there's that some, like something you want me and maybe even cut out like you're not going to feel you know comfortable with oh no it's good it's good it's good you just leave it away <laughs> I want to see it she said I want to see it in a huge audience with you know the big premiere yeah I want to see it with all the people uh-huh. said, okay okay mom so we went and we were all dressed in blue all in our glitter mom and daughter and sat in the middle of the theater and she sat and she watched the movie and did not move. She did not laugh. She did not cry. She was like a statue sitting there beside me. I went, oh, I really, because she really, my mom and dad were a wonderfully romantic couple. I was very lucky. The love between them was very evident. Anyways, I thought, oh boy, I've gone a bit too far here. And at the end, everybody jumped up, you know, at the Garneau Theater in Edmonton, you know, they wanted us to get up and wave, and so my mother gets up and and waves, and then she sits down and pulls me to her, and she said, how did you know all that? (gasps) Oh, my goodness, what a (laughs) fabulous thing. Oh, yeah, so it was a tremendous lesson for me because I realized that with the documentary, and I, and I still love doing documentary, but with a documentary, you can only get so far, you know. And if you really want to know what's going underneath the surface, you've got to go into fiction because you know you've got to use your imagination. You've got to create that reality for yourself.
0: Well, so well, my son once said something really wise several years ago. He said, "You know, we were saying life is stranger than fiction," and he says, "Well, because fiction's based on life, really, and all the things in lessons you know," whereas Life has never happened before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a good storyteller weaves the best things so that it feels real.
1: It's more yeah. important that it
0: feels real than it is. Yeah, it
1: feels real. And and all the parts might be coming from, you know, different realities. But, uh, and that's a wonderful thing. I mean, I sit here in my room now writing like these short stories that are going to be published, uh, you know, getting right inside each character and running you know running the, the the story through that person and running the story through my head through that person and you know there's a, a lot of alone time a writer has got a lot of alone time which is in huge contrast to being in production so it's an adjustment for me is it okay yeah it's okay as long as i i mean i i have this great hope that this book's going to come out this fall it's lined up to be printed right now But a lot of printers are closed what's uh, the name of the book have you got a title Taken by the
0: Muse. Oh, I'm buying it already.
1: It starts in in Africa.
0: Ah, Taken by the Muse. I
1: want it. I want it. I want it. With my car breaking down in a palm forest near the coast, south of Mombasa. It's called the story, South of Mombasa.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Storyteller on all fronts.
1: But I have this kind of, you know, hope that I can go across Canada and have readings and have little gatherings and and uh, maybe with other authors, maybe with a little music, maybe with some art, maybe, you know, have little gatherings around it because it's all about, um, it all takes place in my, in my 20s when I was on the road mostly and when I was just mm-hmm. at the cusp of what am I going to do with my...
0: Paula Jardine was reminding me that you were in the Snow Queen in, in a window in the Eaton Centre doing a costume change in front of everyone she was (laughs) she tell you that That by yeah
1: well yeah children's theater teaches you to be a great clown right yeah Yeah, i'm quite animated when i i jump around the set a lot when i'm directing too i'm not you know the uh the the noble you know
0: to me uh, you embody the more we're talking about creativity and ideas you embody every rich river of creativity—writing, acting, music, singing. I mean, there's there—you are involved in every part of that creative process,
1: and it must feed you. Because look at you doing it, still doing it. Well, it is, but you know, I still would—I would love to have a band like you with your kids playing around you. What? I know real you work with your sons do you ever work with well them? i do work with them a little bit but you know it's it's like it's such a business and uh so my son quincy and i have done three films together with him being my first ad and of course the first ad is right there and they're your primary relationship right so that's been a hooch he's a fun, a very funny guy and a really good ad and he does big big shows now but he did the cowboys, the uh, um, uh, the horses, and McBride. I don't know if you saw oh, that. Yeah. yeah. And he did that show, and we tried to make it like like we were just a, a director and a son, and he called me Ann, and I called him Quincy, and and a, quite a bit. Most of the crew didn't click because we're all in big parkas and everything. We're on the side of a mountain most of the time, and so a lot of people didn't click. You know, a lot of the the cowboys didn't click. And then one day I had to take a little whiz and I had to go off the beaten track, and the snow was 12 feet deep. And I I stepped off the path and I, boom, I went down, I disappeared from the world. I went right (gasps) down and he turned around and went mom. (laughs) Of course the whole crew kind of walked turned, turned and went, what did he just say? Well, I love playing with
0: my sons. I love being able to share something I love with my sons. It really is. Oh,
1: and you guys are terrific. I saw you in Toronto. It really is moving to see a family make music. Thank you.
0: It is. It's a. It's a really. I don't know how much longer we can do it. Their own careers are on their way, but man, it sure is fun now.
1: Oh yeah, and well, and they are also they're also different, but it all comes together so beautifully. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I was really moved watching you and oh. thinking how fantastic. I mean, is there anybody else that can compare to that?
0: Not many people that. have given birth their backup band. That's true. Oh. No. <laughs> Not many people have given birth to their ad it's either. Well. Hardly any director has given birth to their ad. I would, I would guarantee. Since you're the only one that's won that award, you might be one of the few directors who's
1: given birth to their crew, <laughs> part of their
0: crew. Yeah. Uh, anyway.
1: Yeah that that's incredible and and isn't it great that they're they're going to go on and.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah, they they're good. We We have a farm too. Right. So
1: in Saskatchewan, yeah. whereabouts is it?
0: Uh, south of at the corner of No and Where, as the line goes, south of Southern Moose Jaw, about 30 miles
1: away. Okay. Willow, there are, my, my, I come from a farm that's right near Lloyd Minster on the Alberta oh, side. Yeah. Prairie gals, prairie. prairie gals, yeah. No, yeah. that's probably why your music touches me so much. I do play it a lot. Your music, oh, thank you, yeah. When I need it, uh, painting is my exercise. Painting, you paint gardening. as well. Oh, I'm so glad you don't knit. <laughs> But I, 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 I guess <laughs> when I paint, you know, and I put, put something of yours on and I'll, I'll, oh. I'll well, that know, thrills me. That thrills me. And ass. I sing with you, I've got you and I've got Sherry Aldridge and I got uh BIM and I got, you know, uh, all of those so many, Canadian, Canadian. Yeah. I've got a beautiful collection of uh, Canadian yeah. artists and, uh,
0: my mother was a painter. My mother is a painter. Oh. She's
1: 101 years old and still alive and
0: living in her own home.
1: Fantastic.
0: Yeah, I yeah. think I'm going to interview her for my podcast. Views from 101.
1: And how, I mean, is she...
0: She's in good she, health or she's smart or as a whip? Oh, yeah, wow.
1: so far, keep our fingers crossed. My mom made it almost to 100. She was just uh, two months short. Ah. Uh,
0: yeah,
1: so we had a huge kind of uh, 100-year birthday party uh planned hoped for her and uh, it just turned into her memorial uh,
0: man, we come from some amazing women don't we
1: all those women were so amazing so strong and resilient
0: and could handle change and
1: oh yeah and the change they saw eh? yeah my mom skypes
0: everybody every day i'll probably Yee! Skype. Yeah, oh yeah she skypes. she is totally savvy
1: oh she sounds fantastic she loves learning something new wow she sounds like an inspiration she is actually, really yeah. yeah totally
0: you are astounding and you amaze me on all fronts although i've known you for so long nothing really amazes me about you well <laughs> but i am so glad that you were persistent and carried on that you didn't because you know
1: partly is due that i had three big brothers you know
0: ah yeah,
1: I've got three big brothers and I have three sons. I have a, a son from my second marriage. It's his son, but Alex was eight when we got together. Um, and, uh, and, and then I've worked with all these guys. I just, I just treated them as brothers and just ignored the stupid ones, you know, the ones that yeah. were misbehaving. You only need to work with right? those people
0: once, was my theory.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And just kept <laughs> charging ahead. And if you weren't my brother, then, you know, we wouldn't be working again together. So
0: it was so discouraging. And I'm so glad you weren't
1: yeah. discouraged. Well, the thing I think is just to keep, you know, keep flexible. If you can't direct, then I would go edit someone's film and, you know, just keep it, keep, keep the water flowing and keep the ideas happening. Yeah. That's,
0: that's the great, that's great advice. <laughs> Uh, what I found interesting, too, is that women like yourself that were interesting, even when we're like it's like there's a little beacon that you attach to these really interesting people. you know, you kind of collect interesting women and you needed them because you needed to remind yourself that things were possible, I
1: think yeah well i I am very grateful for the women in my life. I've had good friends and 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 now, you know i I don't know for what reason, maybe it's just our age, but re- reconnecting with a, a lot of people I've known in the past, you know, and feeling like it was just yesterday that we sat down and had a talk. Anyway, thank you again. Thank for you. Your time. I'm glad glad to have reconnected. Yeah. Perfect. Adios. Thank
0: Bye. You. Bye. I've been in conversation with Anne Wheeler. And if you're interested in any of her films, check out the NFB. Many of them, including Chi, that she was talking about, are there for watching. It's well worth the time. Also, if you're interested in that book, Taken by the Muse is put out on New West Press, and should be out this fall. Thanks for listening.